are these mysterious alchemists, sometimes behind the deck, wearing sunglasses at night, other times behind the scenes, setting a vibe, creating an atmosphere, building a community. Hi, it's Eric and Maria, co-hosts of Meet the DJ, where you can find long-form, open-ended conversations with the best and brightest creators, producers, and innovators, some of whom also DJ for a living. And today, we're here with my next-door neighbor and probably the first DJ that I came to know closely, Holger Heckler. Hi, Holger. Hello. Hello. Happy to meet you guys. Thanks nice, for having me. Nice to meet you. Hello, people out there listening. <laughs> this is our first time doing the podcast outside of my apartment. We've gone mobile. Uh, we moved a whole one apartment away. <laughs> Through the portal. Through the portal. <laughs> yes. I think we need to explain what a portal is. And why is it so so special? Holger, what is a portal to you? Wow, okay. Yeah, a, a portal is definitely an opening, maybe a gate to another dimension, another place. Um, we have a portal between our two apartments, which is actually also a gateway to another dimension sometimes. It feels that way because we are only opening up, uh, opening it up like maybe two or three times per year uh, for a little special gathering. Yeah, it's like you enter a new space. Yeah, I, I love this portal concept. And I, when I talk about my life, if people ask about how I got from one place to another, I often synthesize it for myself thinking about portal experiences like something that happened oftentimes like a retreat or a festival or maybe a conversation that when I went through it I there was no going back you know it's like I think a lot of these portals are one one way at least for me this is my experience yeah you are transformed in a way that you cannot go back yeah yeah. Our portal here, we it goes both ways. <laughs> At least it seems like it. It seems like you're going back through the portal. Maybe it's you're going back and it's different. And then you go back the other side and it's different again. I don't know. Yeah, maybe the portal transforms depending on the context that it's being crossed. Yeah. Do you have any um, experiences recently where you feel like you've moved from from one place to another in a portal sense in a portal sense um besides the party on friday <laughs> i think they are they're always smaller sometimes bigger portals they're going through for me is definitely as a musician is like i I'm super interested in a lot of different music and uh, I feel easily bored to be stuck with one type of music and one style. And um, so I listen a lot to music. Um, I also love silence. 
Uh, but so I also cherish moments like that. But I try to con to confront myself a lot with music, and um, and there I go to different portals as well that, like you said, will not bring me back uh, because they change me somehow uh, and change my perspective of music or what I want to do with music, for example. I get a lot of influence out of uh, music that I listen for other from other people. Um, and like life-wise, living-wise, like, oh yeah, I went to real portals. Uh, I moved to Lisbon three years ago from Germany. And uh, it was definitely a portal into a different world, a different life for me. Uh, it changed my life a lot. It was also in a time where all of us were like uh, pandemic, 2020, I moved here, where a lot of us maybe had like a portal experience. Some, something changed. Some found out that maybe the place that they were living at um, the situation they were living in was not like it didn't hold up um, in in those times and they're trying to find new new dimensions and a new place uh, for them and a new way of living and that's definitely what happened for me like I got to know like I, I came here into a circle of amazing people um, and like with them including different experience and a different form of living a different lifestyle the city here comes with a different lifestyle it's already living at the ocean is a different lifestyle itself which i never had like that only on holiday trips and so yeah this this is present day and um it, i mean it seems like I know you quite well, so I sort of, we've never talked about this explicitly, but I expect you've had a few of these kind of transformations where music, and I don't know if it was also the place that you lived, kind of went hand to hand in, uh, in moving you dif through different phases. I, I know you've told me that you were like a, an MC and doing sort of German hip hop back in the day. I know you have a Brazil life. I know you have a Berlin life, and now I know your Lisbon life. So did the music follow you like in each of these stages? And was there, was there um, like a distinct moment that took you from that German emceeing uh, life and existence to to what came next? So maybe, I don't know how many people are going to listen to podcasts that don't know me. Maybe I need to explain a little bit better who I am. So my name is Holger Heckler. Um, I'm from Berlin. I'm uh, born and raised uh, there. Like, which is not true, it's a lie. Like I was born uh, in another city close to Berlin or south of Berlin, but um, I was only born there two weeks later. Um, I was in Berlin already, and I grew up on the east side of Berlin, 
behind the wall. I was 10 when the wall fell. And then I grew up in this amazing craziness that Berlin is so famous for. Like, um, I was fortunate enough to experience club scene, everything that, that happened there, the culture, the art, from a very early age. Um, so I was already on stage with 17 years uh, in clubs uh, where people usually are not allowed anymore <laughs> at, or, or not, not even not allowed yet to get in. Um, and my first career, like I always was into music. My background is also music. My, I think maybe my biggest inspiration was my grandfather. My grandfather was a, a self-trained musician. He was singing, he was playing the organ, he was playing the trumpet. Um, and he was famous for uh, that. There's a music like in Germany, it's called Schlager folk music kind of this like it's a little bit silly music but um yeah he, he was playing always at weddings birthday parties and all that stuff and he was kind of famous in that area so he was like a huge impact um, because he was this entertainer um, my father plays instruments as well played also with my grandfather together and definitely he's also an influence but my father is more like he looks more, or he he's not a person that like improvises on instruments or whatever. Like he's more, he needs the notation and everything like that. But he still does music as well, plays various instruments. And um, so I come from music. And then what brought me to DJing was a moment where I was actually listening to some completely different music. At that time, I was listening to black metal music, like very hard, hardcore metal music. And um, this has come up in almost every podcast we've done yeah. so far. Yeah. Like yes. somebody had a metal stage. I think every single one. And and also every single one, exactly, except for Theo, which was not a musician. Uh, and also three of our guests, they have members in their family that played music. They come yeah. from music. The metal thing is the metal thing is. I think yeah. I mean, on the other hand, it's uh, plausible. You can understand it from that side. Like when you're young, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen. You know, like your teenager years. You are in a revolt. Like you're revolting against anything, and then like metal music, guitar music, sometimes picks that energy up perfectly and. My form was a very dark form then at that point. And, and then um, just by accident, actually, I went to a drum and bass party in 1995 in a small club in Berlin called Akud. And I was there and my world changed like one day to the other. It was not the same. It was a portal mm. that I went through and couldn't come back. And it was really so I, I went every single day after that for two weeks straight to every record store in Berlin to find the music because it was still a time where you had to buy vinyl like uh, you had to find it on records or it was not available digitally maybe some CDs but rarely and then I was buying records uh, I think 
my parents had like a very cheap record player. And then I was working on a construction site to buy some used uh, DJ turntables and and started to to play. And then lots of more stuff happened after that. And long answer to your question. Um, I do this since 28 years. Um, so there has been a lot of different changes from starting in my bedroom as a child on the floor trying to get stuff together and to DJ to all of a sudden becoming an MC, taking a microphone and having my first career actually. Was your first microphone. gig with drum and bass? Yeah. And vinyls? Yeah. On, um, on your own? Um, was not on my own. Um, in the area that I grew up in, uh, there were two other people, two other friends, and one of them also, um, more or less at the same time, started to buy a vinyl, drum and bass, and the other one started to MC, like to rap to that stuff. And then we would. Excuse me, what's an MC exactly? A kind of no, but not really. So. The real definition is master of ceremony. It comes actually uh, from Jamaica because back then DJs were not called DJs. They were masters of ceremony because they were like driving around uh, the island uh, of Jamaica with the new records, uh, the new music. And then they were singing along and like rapping to it, like, yeah, make some noise and everything, you know, like, and they were masters of ceremony and that transposed into also like hip-hop um, then when you had MCs and um, and drum and bass because drum and bass was early on very very much influenced by Jamaican music but the first drum and bass was a mixture of you, you they were even calling it jungle um, oh, jungle yeah I remember so instead this reggae ragamuffin jungle so this MC thing belong to it somehow. And you always have still on drum and bass parties, you have some MC, not always, but usually you have an MC and rapping over that and like saying like, ah, everybody dance and right. DJ, like shouting, you know, like you, like you hype, you're hyping it, hyping, hyping the party. Yeah. And yeah. So you were one of these people hyping the party. Yeah, it was also by accident because so these two other guys that started uh, drum and bass as well at that time, um, we had the idea, let's do a party in the youth center where we would usually go to and have parties and stuff, you know, with other friends and let's ask them if we could have a drum and bass night. And then uh, we were rehearsing in the... The, um, the rehearsing room of um, the older brother of uh, one friend where he was like rehearsing with his band and so we brought our equipment and then like I took the mic as well and I like, tried it out and then I remember that party though that first party we played and I took the mic and my girlfriend at the time she told me after that Holger please one thing you're an amazing DJ I love it but never never take the microphone again it was terrible she said and she went on a trip around the world for six months i became resident mc in the most famous club in berlin for drum and bass at that time 
and she couldn't believe it when I told her that. <laughs> and she came back from the trip, and I remember I still have her face in front of me, like how scared she was when she came to the first party in the club that I was emceeing. What and was the club called? It was called Icon. Icon, very famous Dumbbell Bass Club. Uh, now the same people um, that were doing this club, uh, they are running Gretchen. Gretchen is uh, still a famous venue also in Berlin. They're still doing drum and bass parties. Um, so yeah, basically she was scared as hell, but I developed in these six months and, uh, and then she was actually pretty happy. And yeah, my first career. Like I emceed with all the big guys from London. Um, so being in this club, having this opportunity uh, gave me a lot of yeah, opportunities, a lot of possibilities and a lot of contacts. Would you do it in English or in German? Mostly in English, rarely in German and some in French. I don't speak French, but uh, she, my my girlfriend at the time, she she speaks French, and we wrote something together, and people loved it when I was doing that. I didn't really know what I was saying, but <laughs> it sounded good. Sounds so much fun. Yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing, and I, yeah, it um, it brought me so many experiences, and I basically learned that on stage then like you know like the little rehearsing that we had before that was just a few times but then you learned to do it on stage were you playing records at the same time as your emceeing or was that a different job no it's i wanted to be a dj all the time i read it that that was my thing and then they kind of pushed me into the MC corner you couldn't do it like everything at the same time hardly And then I took it like also as a chance, like I loved it. It was also a lot of fun and, but I wanted to be a DJ and I still bought wine. Uh, so I acted as I would still, I, if, uh, if I would be a DJ already because I never stopped to go to record stores, buy the stuff. I bought lots of other music as well, like hip hop, funk, soul, disco, house, electro, everything. And at a certain point, after years, I was bored um, from drum and bass and with another friend that uh, he, he was a drum and bass DJ. We were in the crew together and then we were both like, like let's do something else. Um, and we started to play on birthday parties and like we, we went some steps back from the clubs to small parties, but we were, for us it was a new portal again because we could just play the music that we wanted and we felt a little bit restricted to the music, uh, like on its own bass. And, um, and basically the rest is history because that was the, initian, uh, the initial initiation to what I became later on. Like, first of all, we... Sh shall I just talk? I'm talking yeah, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, I love to, to, to tell that story as well, because for me it's always, I relive some of the moments again. So, like, I had this friend, uh, Reha Kidakabon, um, and we created a team together called Juice Market. 
like I said, we started at birthday parties and then became quickly became bigger because people loved whatever we were playing. It was like party sound, like all the fun stuff. And he lived together with one of the founders of Bachstelzen, or that would become the later one of the founders of Bachstelzen later on. And um, they asked us if we would want to play at Fusion at Bachstelzen. Uh, and um, so we played at that floor, on that floor, I think like six years in a row. Um, and it was yeah, the, the best thing, absolutely. And um, at a certain point, uh, and, and in between, we also did, we did the radio show together for many years. Like we did a lot of stuff, like uh, um, exploring our musical, like our fascination for music, for different music. Uh, this Barstelzen, is it a stage at Fusion or what, what is it? Barstelzen is Barstelzen. A, still a stage at Fusion. Um, it became uh, quite famous on Fusion because they just um, curated an amazing, made an amazing curation every year or still do that. Um, and yeah, it's just a bunch of crazy people as well. Like uh, and a lot of stuff developed out of that. So maybe a lot of people know Garbage Festival, which is actually the yeah, like like the Bachstetzen crew thought for a while that they wanted to create their own festival, and um, so it started very small, and then more and more people joined. So now it's not only Bachstetzen, of course, it's like. There's a Polish uh, crew or a huge Polish crew that's organizing it as well and, and different crews that contribute mm -hmm. to that festival to make it happen. But yeah, the initial um, bar was, was Barstelzen. Mm -hmm. I, I only heard about this, um, this idea of... Well, I mean, I grew up going to concerts and festivals that were very commercial where the whole thing is organized by some central planning group and the stages all are booked in, in the context of the other stages. And it was only with garbage that I heard for the first time, like, oh, so-and-so books this stage or like this crew books one stage and some other crew books another stage. And yeah, I, and I guess they're not coordinating. They just do their own stage. And they do the bookings for their stage and the lineup for their stage. And if it, if they happen to counter-program the same stuff at another stage, it's fine. It's just... Um, I'm not completely involved in the organization. It's especially garbage. Um, but I know that definitely they're talking with each other. So it's not like... Everybody can just do what they want. Yeah, there's some of course they can, but a little bit like uh, let's look. Okay, what do you, what do you want to do? Like what kind of style? Maybe uh, also to look like that. That's maybe not the same DJs playing on three different stages throughout the weekend. Um, um, yeah, but of course it's like it's more about freedom. Uh, actually, Bachelors and they come from a, a festival which was like it's also fusion is a little bit like that but this other one was called uh, camp tipsy 
It happened also on a beautiful lake north of Berlin, uh, in a place Biesenthal. Some guys found like this old uh, children's camp where there were still bungalows and whatever. And they managed to, to organize some events there. And the events were not curated by them because they invited people to come. Like, hey, um, so these groups is a little bit like Burning Man, you know, it was the, these That's were our burning men. This is like a link between so, the two, huh? Yeah, so people, I don't know who, if the idea was genuine, like, uh, or if they, some of these people have been influenced by by the idea of Burning Man, because Burning Man already exists, of course, since a long time. But on the other hand, I'm not so sure, because like, we had a lot of these things in Germany where stuff just happened and also like in a collective form of doing, community form of doing things. So again, this festival, they just invited people, hey, like if you want to do something, if you want to build a stage, if you want to just make a bar or some people just came and made pizza or other food and then they spent the money uh, in advance and then everybody would look Afterwards, like, okay, what was the income? And we spread it evenly over the people, you know, like, depending, of course, on the cost that everybody had. And the Bachstetzen, uh, they were created on one of these festivals because some people had the idea, like, hey, I have a truck. The other one, yeah, I have some equipment. The next one, like, I know where we can get drinks. And then um, they made a bar. And then another year, the bar got bigger and some DJs and and then they make an own festival now since which became very successful worldwide yeah it's I love it because it's like the maximum number of people creating something together <laughs> like there's no there's no uh, I mean there's still some sort of central organization and there are still some people who are just attending but many more people are involved in making it and feeling part of it and taking responsibility for it and able to, you know, brainstorm and come up with cool ideas and then implement them. If you have a good idea when you go to Lollapalooza, <laughs> nobody's going to listen to you. There's like a, it's a product. Yeah, it's not organic. I wonder if Juicy Bar started similarly. I think so. Juicy Bar at uh, Garbage. Juicy Bar. Yeah, like I, th I'm I'm not one hundred percent sure, but how I remember it, Juicy Bar started actually at Bachstelzen floor at Fusion Festival. Okay, and that was just like the a juice bar, so no no musical content or whatever. It's just juice, and then yeah, they they explored, they opened new portals. <laughs> <laughs> And, and actually, uh, Juicy Bar nowadays is like one of the best stages, if not the best stage uh, on Garbage Festival. It's just like, it's really, you step in a portal. Uh, and Bachelet's floor was a portal always. I think it still is. But the early Bachelet's floor, the first years, it was in the middle of the fusion ground, but it was like a little bit, there were a few trees and you, you couldn't really see from outside what was going on there because there was in between this circle of trees and then, yeah, they called it Wäldchen of, uh, in German. And, and then 
Yeah, you you enter a new you entered a new portal, a different portal, a new world, and on a big festival with many different worlds. And it's a, it's kind of a group of friends, and then they are bringing new people in. Some people are falling out or retiring or moving away, and you just hope that it, it organically continues on. I think it's always the case, and I think also that many of the festivals, the big things, um, I think also probably Glastonbury and, and those things, they started quite small and with a lot of effort of people like just wanting to create something and to make something happen. I just recently saw a new documentary, there's a lot of documentaries about party scene and like festivals, club scene from Germany, especially the 90s and like what happened in the past 25 years or so, you know, and um, it was quite interesting to see because there were some more commercial festivals that they were talking about as well, but in the end, all of them started quite small. Yeah. I watched on your recommendation the Bar 25 documentary a couple weeks ago before a, a trip to Berlin. That's the best example that, that, that a thing is so ridiculous what happened. And when you hear the, the, when you listen to them also talking about it, it's like even more ridiculous because it was just like, hey, there's a free space, like there's nothing. Like, hey, we're going to ask some people. Like, then they found out, okay, it's owned by the recycling company, but it's a state's company from Germany, like in Berlin. And then, like, hey, can we rent that space? And there was nothing. And they're like, yeah, why not? And then they built like a small wooden shack, and and then a few years later, it's like it became a crazy paradise, like with lots of different stages. I don't know, like and one stage called Crazy Paradise. Yeah, <laughs> it it just uh, makes me think of, you know, these little seeds of grass or flowers that just drop on the ground in between the cracks in the in the sidewalk. And then with enough sun and rain and, you know, the right conditions, it just grows into a bush and then into a, you know, small whatever. The biggest trees start more or less like that. Yeah. It starts with a seed and maybe with like a little, almost like just a leaf or something like that. And then becomes a massive tree. Yeah. Did you ever go to Bar 25? <laughs> Lots of times, of course. Like there was a saying, no more quotes, which means just for, just, just for a dip, like, like just shortly for a quick view, you know, just a moment, just a minute. And then you end up there for, I don't know, two days. <laughs> so what, what happened? Why did people stay for two days? Like what, what was so captivating about it that people wouldn't go to bed? It was a portal and I think people just also had like, a lot of fun and Berlin was a city where those things could just happen. I, I was fortunate enough to travel almost around, uh, everywhere around the world to play as a DJ, but um, a place like that And it still is like a, a little bit like a crazy place like that. Uh, it doesn't exist anywhere else. 
like the it will change eventually i don't believe in 20 years we will have the same maybe people will not have the same freedom to do crazy stuff like we did when we were young um and it, it, it there was just so much room so much space and then like they created a little paradise a crazy paradise and um so people are like, why, why, why I want to leave? My friends are there. We can do crazy stuff here, and we we find new stuff to build new uh, um, things. And it was there's another word in German. We called it also our little Abenteuerspielplatz, so our adventure playground. And um, yeah, it's like it was a kindergarten for grown-ups. Um, a lot of craziness, like also in terms of drugs and, um, yeah, I mean, endless parties, uh, you need some, some push, but, um, yeah, it's just like, it was a lot of freedom. How much of, of the former bar 25 is reflected in, in Caterblau the way it is today? Is it the, the same setup or what's the connection between the two? So I don't know about the his, uh, if you know about the history. So that Bar 25 was there where Holzmarkt and Katerblau is now. Mm-hmm. Do you know that? Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Do you know that they had to leave before? Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of references um, to what was there before, and then also like the reference to what became and uh, happened in between, like. They had to move from one side of the river to the other, and then changed from Bar 25 to Carter Holzig, mm-hmm. and now it's Carter Blau. So um, they took some experiences they made at Carter Holzig with them, and then also some part of the name. But it was never the same again. You can, yeah, it's like these portals, maybe. I, I think I like that reference. Yeah, we have a theme for this podcast. You, yeah, yes. the portal. Um, yeah, so so you step through portals and you cannot go back. And, and yeah, it's, it's just something different. And um, people also get older and they cannot do that much crazy stuff anymore or, that they were able to do before because now there's also there's beautiful apartments on the other side and those people that bought these apartments or rent these apartments they are not okay with like five days party um and big sound and and massive amount of people so yeah it gets less things things move along because Katerblau is on the uh, east side of Berlin, right? Um, yeah, that's the, that's the other funny thing that they actually moved from one, like the river was before um, where the wall was as mm-hmm. well. So yes. divided the two cities, West Berlin and East Berlin. And they moved from East Berlin to the other side to West Berlin and then back to East Berlin, yeah. Let's say it, uh, bar 25 is actually there where the old wall was before. And then there was nothing for a long time. And now they created also their 
I mean, it's it's amazing what they achieved. They achieved to build a new utopia, utopia there. Um, and if you look around, there's been built so much like commercial stuff, office buildings, like and and a big stadium, like Mercedes-Benz area. Like you see all these brands and stuff, and in between is this like little crazy village. Yes. still you know like with with um, alternative looks... forms of building and then like also like what they have there and they have a bakery and then they have like a bar and then they have like a, a school for uh, acrobatics and um, studios and uh, whatnot like it's restaurants and it's just it's like that little plant that grows between the concrete yeah And it's like fighting to grow. And then you have whoever is managing the concrete and the roads and the infrastructure fighting against that little bit of disruption. It's like the constant back and forth between, uh, between on the one side, like nature and our sort of ideas about building a city and Uh, developing something but the same thing happens with culture and in different ways um, before we go back to the story that you left behind about how you started as a DJ I just want to ask a couple more questions about uh, bar 25 so what was it like back in the day can you remember like one particular night that was particularly memorable like what did you do when you went there I think I forgot about a lot of nights <laughs> because how oh, crazy they were. No, um, I have like very vivid uh, impressions still in my in my head, uh, memories in my head. Um, I mean, you can really watch the movie. I can recommend it. I don't know if you if you ever watched it or if you've ever seen it, but like watch it because like it transposes like very well. It what, really what takes happened. you there, yeah. And, um, but like one thing, for example, uh, and they talk about it in the, in the movie as well, like they, they didn't really care about making money. Um, obviously money was coming in there because uh, lots of people were there, but they just spent it for ridiculous stuff. Like they just bought like the trucks full of confetti. And then like you have like one floor with an open air floor and it was also like a little bit like a circus arena and um and they filled it with confetti so you were until your hip basically or you, yeah, i think your knees at least you were in confetti and we were just like diving and swimming in confetti like that's it's ridiculous and um a lot of these things happened there like where they would just do childish things but like everybody loved it you know like it's also like there was really a time where people dressed up a lot and mm. bar 25 also accumulated like a big like big store of like costumes and stuff and sometimes mm. you would just go there and like jump into an alter ego and um yeah it's just like a wild crazy paradise and circus and 
And then, of course, music shows, like people that played there, um, Nicolas Jarre, for example, himself played there, and then that might be a good thing to come back to music and what changed for me at a certain point. But yeah, there's so many memories. There's a lot of influence uh, in terms of how I perceive parties, what, what, in, what artists influenced myself and... And then also the chance to play there and these things, you know, like because Carter, Part 25 is, is uh, I would consider a lot also my background for the past, for the music that I did maybe in the past 15 years. Who are some other uh, important figures that influenced you over that, that time? Um, so, so maybe um, best to to go back to the mm-hmm. to to my my career. So we had this long period of playing as Juice Market with my friend. All the it's a great different. name, by the way, Juice Market. I love it as well. It's uh, actually a re- reference in Germany. Um, there's a word for it. It's called Saftladen, and I just translated it. Uh, it doesn't exist in English like that. But in Germany, it means, Saftladen means juice market or juicy bar, but it has another meaning as well, because you say Saftladen to something, you call Saftladen something that is not working well. That's like a complete disaster or chaos, Hmm. Uh, you know? And it's just a fun, fun wording. However, so we did this thing, we always played at Bachstedt's in Fusion, and then the next year was due um, Bachstedt's in Fusion. They asked again, like, what you play? And then uh, my friend, he couldn't make it. And then I said, like, yeah, I would play, but I have my own thing. Because I was already, like, a bit more interested into the electronic realm of music. And um, so I said, like, I have my own thing. And they're like, mm-hmm, okay. Yeah, go for it. Then I played a set there, which became yeah uh, my biggest push in my career. Played a set 2012, which I then released on SoundCloud, and um, and all of a sudden people around the world would listen to me. And it was um, the the new thing for me was like. A couple of us were slowing electronic music down because we went through a long patch of minimal music and also a little bit faster music. And then house was coming back a little bit, but I was not so much interested into the typical classical house back then at that time. Um, And then like people, for example, like Nicholas Jar appeared that transformed electronic music, took piece, piece, uh, bits and pieces from uh, minimal music or like other influences of music that come, came more from funk or, or soul or hip-hop or whatever. And then Acid Pauli uh, knew, knew that was a, a very close friend of mine back then. Uh, we came actually, I had a big hip hop face as well in between. So I, I did hip hop with Nu and some other people. That's where I also know Chris Schwarzwelder from because he was an amazing hip hop DJ early on. 
And then, so we know each other from like mid-twenties, I think, early mid-twenties. Um, we got to know each other through some friends because we were recording in a studio and in the studio of Nu, and that was like an amazing hip-hop producer with our other friend. And then at a certain point, they changed into electronic music as well. At first, Nu, for example, very minimal. And then all of a sudden came this soulfulness in there. And somehow, all of us together, I think we created where it happened at, at the same same time, we created this kind of down-tempo electronic music. And yeah, something new was born. The name Holger Heckler was born, which actually, on the other hand, came also because of a radio show that I did. I didn't like my partner to call me by my old MC names <laughs> and I uh, just invented Holger Heckler. What was your old MC name? MC Point Flex. <laughs> ring, ding, ding, ding. But Holger is your actual first name. Holger is my actual first name, but my decoration is Heckler. And it was just like, yeah, uh, I thought it sounded good. At a certain point, I realized that people make fun of it. <laughs> and it's actually... It's not suitable for shortening it, but you have to find it yourself. I don't make that reference now. <laughs> Just a name. But this is when you you felt like you became a DJ. When you played that down tempo set, when you switched your name, when you. No, it was just another portal. Um, I felt. It's a trick question. As a DJ since 28 years already, uh, like 20. Like before, like when I started, um, even as an MC, I still felt like a DJ. Um, and I, I love this other stuff. And then also, like like I said, there was so much stuff happening. So I did hip hop as well. And I loved that too. But I still was DJing. And, um, but what happened was I got international recognition and... Um, the way I DJed also completely changed. Um, I started to DJ with Ableton Live and not with turntables anymore. Um, and because it just like the, the stuff that I wanted to do was, I've, I was just limited with turntables and also CDJs were, that was not really my thing back then. And um, yeah, we were just like, I was mixing original tracks, maybe an original Brazilian track or a rabbit track or country track. Um, but Ableton gave me the chance to put it on the right tempo um, with an electronic track and then like mixing these things together, making like these live remixes and not something like completely produced before. And um, yeah, so it definitely, it definitely changed. Where are you going? I'm going to make myself another drink and put on a scarf. Okay. Okay. Give you. We will give you a break. But carry on. It's too much. No, it's too much noise. Is there? Okay. Just that we give the audience a break too. They can have a. They can make their own drink at home. Cheers, guys. Can put on a scarf if they're if it if it's a little cool there. What are you doing? 
the bag, <laughs> the poncho. Are you leaving? No. Did I say something wrong? <laughs> She'll be back. We'll keep this in the show, actually. We like to go unedited and, um, <laughs> you know, this just shows people the behind the scenes. I once, uh, I did a radio, like, um, I did radio for, for a few years and then we changed also, we, we had the idea, let's do this uh, as a cook show, like cooking show, but without cameras. Yeah. And like, let's invite some, some artists, they cook for us, like also plus for us, like depending on the artist, like if, how, how well they were in the kitchen. But um, yeah, they, they were cooking, they were explaining also what they were doing, like the recipe. And then in between, we were also like talking about like, okay, like, what's your news project or where you're basically actually coming from. And that was pretty fun. A lot of noise, of course, as well in the background. An audio fun. only cooking oh, show. Audio only cooking show. I feel like there are different versions of that you could do. Where one, you know, like you could do a visual only music show. Uh, uh, that's harder, much harder. How, you, how would you do that? I don't know. I mean, I never would have imagined an audio only cooking show either. Yeah, but I mean, like... Um, Subtract imagine, one of imagine the Imagine a radio play. The most important sense subtracted out of the equation and you do the best you can with what's left. Not sure if that's the most important. Like music, but, but you could show it visually. You could have a... How? How oh. can you show music visually? That's the toughest. A visualizer, like in the, you know, like in the, um, back when we had Winamp and all of those, those music players, uh -huh. where you could turn on the visualizer and it would like give you a kind of a trippy visual output of the music. It brings me back to something that we were talking about uh, a few days ago um, in terms of like that music can only happen when you listen to it, like in the moment. You cannot put it on the wall. You cannot put it in a visual. You can try it a little bit, but nobody knows from seeing a visual of what the music is be like, will be like, maybe the rhythm, okay, that's it. But also what I've noticed is by playing these visuals, uh, you know, like psychedelic, you know, visuals from the internet, there's so many on YouTube. Whatever music play on top of it, it feels like it synchronizes to that music. So mm. it's kind of irrelevant almost what the, the visual is. I think then on the other hand, like a cooking show, for example, like explaining uh, things, hearing also stuff, like I think you can imagine, like it's like a radio play, like in a radio play, for example, as well, like you mimic the whole story and, um, and then there's like a train maybe rolling by you don't have to see it but you can imagine it's like also when you read a book you can imagine stuff but how can you really imagine music no i'm a music show i I'm i have to say by the idea of, of it somehow arguably uh having uh, an audio only cooking uh, recipe mm -hmm. 
is more helpful because you can focus on what you're doing. It's kind of difficult to look at the screen while you're cooking. And also if it's delivered a little bit at the pace that you're doing things, I think that can be really useful. You can follow along this way. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you what, like the cooking was definitely only like a small gimmick. It was more about talking with the artist, um, but yeah. in a funnier environment. <clears throat> it was lovely. Um, really, really enjoyed it. The artists also enjoyed it, like because they had fun cooking, showing the recipe. Then we would have a nice meal afterwards. And you've got a great radio voice, an Thank MC you. voice. I trained. <laughs> I trained, motherfucker. <laughs> to be a late night radio host. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, I love this when you go close to the mic, you know, and like speak very low. Some people I can I'm put boil, to rest. I'm boiling a pot of water. <laughs> Sounds so hot. I think I could put people to sleep also when then I have this kind of voice like. <laughs> hey, I put, I put you to sleep sometimes. Like when we were like, we had so many rides in my car and then like he loves to sleep in a car like, I mean many people love that but like and then I'm talking I'm talking and at some point I'm looking over to him and of course he's already passed out and sleeping um, it is it's, an, it's another good vibration to fall asleep to yeah I think it is this uh, this movement it's a little bit like also when your mother had you in your arm or your father and like and then trying to calm you down, they move you, they rock you. Mm -hmm. It's probably a little bit like that. My mother also, like, she steps in the car five minutes later, she's knocked out. Yeah, it's and like the purr of cannot. a cat. Other, other people, for example, cannot. They're in the car, they cannot sleep, not at all. Mm. It's like their eyes are wide open. It's not, not a relaxing environment for them. I can definitely see how you fall asleep on a train, for example. I love trains. It's fantastic to fall asleep in. I have more difficulties with planes. I mean, you have this, but just like I know, I'm, a train is more comfortable. Yeah, less yeah. Uh, less stress also. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's this like going from one check-in to the other, and like all the security check-ins, and sometimes it's quite annoying. I mean, you travel fast, but all the stuff before and after that is like annoying and that's also like the um, when we return to music to DJing like the probably one of the most annoying things that you have like traveling ex um, all every weekend for example to another show like what really drains you is like these journeys yeah these I mean parties are draining sometimes as well but like these journeys, you're on an airport waiting for the next flight, uh, having all these check-in, check-out, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, hotels. For me, it was always like the most annoying. I love hotels, by the way. I love yeah. it. It depends on the hotel, of course. But uh, it's crazy. Uh, over that many years of being constantly traveling, constantly being in hotels, I know I have in my own bed now like I, I build it like a hotel bed so i have mm. like lots of pillows i have like the, the white linens and everything uh, 
I don't know. I, it's probably because I have been in hotels so much that I love it. Makes sense. What's the craziest thing that ever happened to you in a hotel? <laughs> well. <laughs> Now I'm asking questions. <laughs> okay, um, or maybe we can one? talk about sex stuff, but well, we can also about other stuff. There is one that comes to mind, but I can't share. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I also might have to come back. Actually, the, the first things that come up are like, I think not my stories. There are other there are stories I heard from other people that I'm that were so good that I'm like adopting them as my stories, but they didn't actually happen to me. I can tell you about the craziest hotel I've been to, which is like one of the most extraordinary places. Um, there's a place called Sacred House in the heart of Cappadocia. Um, It's built like an Italian villa, like an Italian palazzo, inspired by Dante's Inferno. And it has this incredible, um, first of all, every room is designed differently and it has its own story. It's a little bit like a movie set. Every room is its own world. I stayed in one room, it was called the Full Moon Room. And you would enter the... You would enter the, f the room, I guess, uh, go down some steps and enter through the bathroom. Incredible pink marble bathroom um, with a, like a brass uh, bathtub, everything designed so charmingly. And then you would go down to the bedroom via a curved staircase, which I guess gave it the this um round kind of setup to the whole thing so you'd go down this kind of um spiral staircase through some very heavy velvet curtains to this beautiful bedroom with a window above the bed like a small window just truly like an enchanted place and this was one of the least uh, extravagant rooms some of the rooms have um life-size sculptures of you know, an archangel, uh, archangel fighting a dragon in like, you know, full-size human and assuming dragon also. <laughs> uh, it's just an incredible place. In any case, underneath this uh, hotel villa, there is this underground floor where they have a spa uh, that looks like a lake which goes into a cave. I'm assuming the cave is a natural cave because those that part of Cappadocia has a lot of this kind of stone structures that create caves. So you enter this pool, which is, looks like a lake, via some stairs, but then you just swim into this um, naturally formed cave. Um, and this level is called Inferno. So, so I've been there to, um, to someone's birthday party that took place in, in this particular spa, um, which is just like a luxurious marble room. Um, and of course it was very thematic. It was, everyone was dressed up. Um, I guess the stories that that there were many stories that unfolded but <laughs> they don't necessarily um they're not 
relevant to this. I think the mm. setting was the most uh, incredible aspect of, of this hotel. We will link it in the show notes. <laughs> Absolutely. I think they just won like one of the best hotels uh, of 2023 by uh, rated by Condé Nast. Mm. Um, and it used to be this obscure place that not many people heard about, but now it's kind of becoming a bit more well-known worldwide. A different kind of creativity to, I'm not, I don't know, a different kind, but we talked about these kind of co-created stages and festivals and events. And then on the other side of it, you have something like this, which is like somebody's life work, you know, or like a very small group of people's life work. and years and years and decades of, of developing something like one thing and being probably like quite <clears throat> constrained to it like this is like you have to be dedicated to that forever <laughs> a long time yes there is an architect art art director that created this space and it was actually someone's brainchild this particular hotel there's a story to it Yeah. Kareas or something like that. I've never been, but I feel like it's... Okay. I forget his name. He's, it's a Turkish guy, but yeah, I will put it in the show notes. No. Yeah, Kareas is, is a ridiculous. Some of the most crazy houses I've ever seen. Like, Did you play there? I played there in 2017 on the Linda Festival. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was beautiful because it always happens uh, close to Dia de los Baratos. That was the first time I was able to be at the Adolos Moyatus. I played it in San Miguel de Allende. Wonderful. Um, we're staying in a beautiful house there as well, actually with the founder of, of NTV, <laughs> or that is his house. He was not there, but was not there with his wife and a lot of other friends. And then on the Linda, yeah. Um, it's super amazing. What is even more amazing is nature there. It's ridiculous. It's jungle, ocean, everything combined. It's like very beautiful. And um, they did a very nice job with the event as well. Like they put a lot of effort in it. I've so, never <clears> been to Andalinda, but I hear it's wonderful. Why, why, what, what's special about it? I don't know if you want to make an advertisement now for, for it here. Like, oh, uh, I think I heard that this year was the last one. Oh. Yeah. That's transforming or something. Could be. I don't know. Like, I mean, it was just like, I think that one of the initial ideas was they, there was this architect and the development team, the architect wanted to find like the most paradise-like, most special place to to have like an yeah uh, real estate uh, development um, he built this amazing have found this amazing place in the north west of Mexico um, on the Pacific coast um, it's an absolute paradise with hills and jungle and ocean and cliffs and beach and uh, like it's perfect and then they built these beautiful houses there and I think they wanted to promote it through an event which is a high-class event for people with means uh, you have to admit because the ticket is ridiculously expensive 
Um, but um, super, super high nice. production value. Yeah, yeah, production amazing. I, for example, I played at the Mayan Warrior when it still existed, 2017. They drove it down there, and, and the stage designs and everything, and huge uh, curated dinners and lovely, amazing. They took very good care of us. So, thank you, Lulu, <laughs> <laughs> um, for for the invitation. And for us, it was amazing. I was there in a house together with Mira, Monolink. Um, who else was in the house? Uh, we, we were a bunch of people and like a lot of artists that we we know each other. We're friends, good friends, but then you would not see each other that much or only on the gig. And then like, it's like, yeah, you have maybe one, two hours. And then everybody leaves in a different direction again. And then there we were for a whole week, all of us. Like almost nobody was like, no, I just played my gig and go. No, everybody stayed and it was super cool. Yeah, you get to enjoy the whole event. Yeah, yeah, it was it was nice. Um, and already nature-wise, it's like an amazing experience. I don't know if it's like the best festival experience for everyone. But uh, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. What are some other places, or if you if you've been around the world, some other memorable stops that you had, or some, or maybe more places that like the experience changed you somehow? So festivals are always very special. I think um, we talked about a few festivals already. Fusion Festival, which is like a mothership for me, um, for a lot of us, other artists uh, can also say tell, because a lot of us got attention because of that festival and it was a little bit our little Burning Man, despite like other smaller festivals and stuff, but just the, the openness there, the freedom that you had, and um, you also call it a little bit like, uh, there's another word for it, but like a little bit of form of communism, huh? like everybody together. And um, although Burning Man was then, it was a really uh, interesting experience. I was a long, for a long time, I was like rejecting it to go there because I could not understand why I would have to buy a ticket, flight, accommodation, everything. And people wanted me to play, so I was not used to it. Um, and then I mean, not being paid and not being kind of not being paid no, or not even getting a ticket um, and or, or travels to there like or, almost every festival that I know, like at least tries to make an effort in that direction. But uh, I had to understand the concept. And then when I realized that actually 99 percent or maybe 98 percent of the artists that play there have to do the same thing. I was like, okay, uh, I accept. <laughs> and then I was invited also by, by a camp and um, which was very kind and very nice of them to do. And so, yeah, and I went there and played and made wonderful connections and had some very amazing experiences. And yeah, I know I actually, uh, at that point, then when I went there for the first time, then I realized, shit, I should have come earlier. 
because it's really nice and yeah um actually to be very honest also marketing wise like uh, as an as an artist i saw it with a couple of my colleagues they just came in the right moment a few years before and it changed their career completely like for example like someone like playing there playing there mm -hmm. oceans orientalis rampu um those people came a bit earlier and it just boom uh, the career exploded and like um yeah sometimes when did you first you go to burning man 2017 and then quite I, recent yeah and then i went 2018 again and then took yeah. a break yeah i haven't returned yet but i'm, I'm going <laughs> next year point. is the year 2024 yeah delicious camp Mm -hmm. But I mean, uh, I, I have had many other amazing experiences, like, I mean, New York, for example, is a city I've never would have imagined earlier on that I would ever play in a city like that. Like the little kid from East Berlin, um, like, yeah, it's crazy. And then you play um, sold, us, sold out a house on a rooftop and this skyline behind your back you know like it's the, that's what people see when you they look at you as a dj and then behind there is like the whole manhattan skyline and I, i had to pinch myself a couple of times also because the party went completely crazy it was like people were just uh, just like made boom and um yeah there's special moments this I don't know if it transformed me, but it just like was out of this world. Like, wow. Unforgettable. Yeah. And I'm such an imbecile. I've, I have no picture, no video of that party. Maybe I should ask people <laughs> if they could look it, in there. I always, I always think the mark of a good, good party, good festival is that you have no photos because you're so immersed in the moment that you simply forget. Yeah. That's the thing where I come from. Um, I don't know how far we are with the podcast yet. It's like we're talking for a while already. Huh? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I'm. I, I like to talk. <laughs> you might have noticed. No, this. This. We talked about it a lot as friends already. So it's funny to make this podcast again, like we, because we. we We had our conversations, or fair share of conversations about this as well. But what you just said brings me back to <coughs> to where I come from. Like this thing with the phones and like pictures and selfies and videos from every show. And it's really annoying, actually. Um, and of course, it's nice sometimes to record something. And as I said, like I would have loved to have a recording from that from that gig, you know. And maybe that's also why I don't have like this huge following on Instagram or something, um, much more on SoundCloud. But um, <coughs> I'm, I'm, I forget these things to take my my phone out because it's not really a common thing in Berlin, for example. In Berlin, most of the venues I go to um, or I play, there are no photos allowed. So they put a sticker on your phone on your camera and you 
are basically forced also to be in the moment, which is a nice thing actually to do. More clubs should actually do that. But we live in different times. Yeah, it happened to us last week. I really appreciate it when, when there's a no camera policy. There's nothing to to break the vibe as some people trying to stick their phone in the DJ's face. Um, That's crazy. If you if you watch content of a kind of music show, for example, now, it's like you see only phones. It's crazy. And uh, and I love them. And it's I, I'm super happy for their success. But it's it's for me, it becomes way too much because it becomes much less about the music. I think the parties are still amazing, probably. Like it looks amazing because people are super hyped up. But all this social media craziness and everybody wants to record uh, their piece is very annoying. Yeah, it's very annoying. I, I feel like the crowds that still record the DJ set are people that don't see that many DJ sets. It's kind of an event for them to be there. It's like so-called cool. They want to share it to their whatever group of friends. I don't know. I feel like someone who really uh, connects with music doesn't even know where their phone is when, when they're dancing, you know. It's a different show. It's a very different crowd, a very different show, and becomes less and less interesting, I think, once you just become more aware of it. And then it, at some point it becomes, like, offensive. Yeah, I remember seeing kind of music uh, in Brazil, in Rio last year. Yeah. And there were some of these, you know, international crowd, people that consume music on a regular basis, Burning Man crowd, whatever, some of this group there. But then there were a lot of local Brazilians, kind of like a clubbing crowd, people that dressed up for the party, you know, kind of in somewhat festive clothes, high heels and all that, it's... And those people probably don't see kind of music on a regular basis, you know, they... For them it's truly an event to see them. And then they take videos. I understand why they do it. No. No, no. Not... Not my thing. It's... It's, um, it's a complicated matter as well. Um... And, yeah, and if you're trying to promote yourself as a DJ, you want this stuff. Yeah. And you need it to circulate. But that's a little bit... Uh, that's, that, that's the problematic thing. It, it became that. Like uh, my career, for example, um, became this career because of SoundCloud. Because SoundCloud at that moment um, was becoming the thing for DJ sets to be shared, festival sets to be shared. And, and all of a sudden people were listening to you all over the place and that was amazing to see but like in the beginning for example I didn't even have a picture of mine on the SoundCloud or social media channel and I remember even a friend from Berlin once then or that became a friend later they booked me to a party a few years later and then like he was almost a little bit disappointed when I put a picture <laughs> on my account because he loved this mystery mystery before and and yeah and then like social media just like became such a huge 
thing. And you can also see that many of the artists that are successful now, they they put a lot of work into their social media work yeah. uh, and uh, like publications and everything. And what I what was the last thing? The stories party I heard like DJ Tennis put, for example, a GoPro in his mouth, like surfers do when they ride a wave, you know, and need their hands and like <laughs> DJ. I mean, it's cool. Like uh, if you are that guy, uh, and I think he probably is also a little bit this show master and I was never really so much that even though I was an MC before but I'm much more quieter and really reserved uh, behind the DJ decks um, I want music to speak um, but yeah um, like each to its own but I find it sometimes too way too much yeah It's, it's interesting to think about how discovery has changed. So it used to be, you know, you said you were digging through vinyls at record stores. I remember always going to the music stores and listening to CDs and previewing them. And then, and then there was like all the digitalization of things so you could preview tracks and find them legally and illegally online. And you would burn CDs and you would still listen to the radio back then. And then, yeah, maybe there was this movement into SoundCloud where you could just, things became more global. You could listen to something from someone, no matter where you were. And then social media, like, it, it, it takes over the discovery part in a large way, but it also becomes less pure because it's not, not just about the music, it's also about how people look, how the party looks, where the party is, you know, the... It's, it's not just the music. The music is just like a little ingredient to the whole whatever, like lifestyle or appeal of the thing that you're seeing. And I wonder if this will then get deconstructed because it's too much. It's like you don't even know what you're seeing. You know, you're seeing like a little clip of a song, whatever the person chooses to put in the in the video, whatever you can see of the surroundings and you're just like I guess you get a little dopamine hit or whatever like this looks like somewhere I want to be but then you know if you go to those shows it's it's also too much when you're there because you're it feels like that to me it feels like you're it's too much it's like what people are wearing and the setting and the music it's too much it's like We need to deconstruct it somehow and get back to like finding the music that we really identify with and separating that out from everything else. If we think music is this pure form, which I think it is, you know, it's not like I could care less what people are wearing and it depends. even the venue, like I mean, if, if the you're, sound is good. If you're a purist then you go straight simply for the music. And you have festivals like Garbage, Waking Life, which are mostly about the music. But I think people are also about partying and socializing, self-expression. I mean, Burning Man is very much about self-expression. So you have the costumes and the art cars and the, you know, all of that aspect and the art. Mm. I mean, 
It doesn't. It doesn't make the music less important. You're right, and but actually, it does like, have another dimension, right? I do like that at garbage, for example. People are dressed up and expressing themselves, and then they become part of the experience as well. Yeah, and it's just the phones thing. Phones just, are just just fucking boring, you know. Phones are boring. <laughs> I think it's just like um, when. It shows too much of that, like that people just consume, consume. Then it becomes uh, just, just a crazy thing. You, you, you said some interesting things, Eric, that made me think. Like for example, now, like it's a super extreme with the phones. Everybody phones out and this and that, and people are in this thing. There, they might think they're doing this art to have a something for them you know to keep them to, to to remind them of that event but it's not it's to show off to consume to 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 consume that what they saw maybe in, on social media before and now they can show they are there as well you know it's it's not that pure um and then for example with downloading music um that that moment for example when like Napster and these things happened and all of a sudden you could download mp3s and like all this piracy thing I did that like crazy to be very honest because like you had so much access to music all of a sudden and I have a very different opinion about like if that was a good thing for music or not I think it, it was a good thing um, um, because it brought more access, um, like brought artists that might not have had this audience, a much bigger audience. And that if you could look at music now, for example, uh, where you can almost stream everything, uh, what's important, it's the artist's performance. And it's not so much about more like buying a, a record or a CD, you know, like which is also a f different form of just consuming something. But what I wanted to go to was like, I downloaded like crazy. Sometimes even I didn't manage to listen to this stuff. I just like was like, I need it. I need it. I want to have it. And so it's a little bit with social media and those stuff. And like, you like, I want to have it. I want to have it. I want more. And, mm -hmm. you know, this idea that I had. Checking boxes, <clears throat> possessing an experience instead of having it. It's, yep. It had so much, diff, so many different perspectives you can put on it. For again, when I said like buying vinyl uh, or CD, it's like the young people don't have that anymore. For example, which is would be the contrary because they stream their stuff when I want it. On the other hand, sometimes they might not even listen to the stuff that much anymore because they just zip to the next thing or to the next best track that they like and they might not listen to the full album or whatever. Um, but on the other hand, it's less. Is, is it less consumed? It's, it's somehow, yeah, less waste, you know, like we... No, like because physical, sometimes before you just yeah. wanted to have it, you know, to put it somewhere, and which is also a nice thing. I love, I love how vinyls were like cult objects. I love it too. It's, and it was, it was not just ask. about the music. It was also about collecting these cult objects that had a mm -hmm. cover and they had a, 
like maybe a songbook inside and you could read the lyrics and it was just I remember I grew up with vinyls like my parents were like listening to various types of music and a lot of my musical knowledge comes from reading the back cover of vinyls it's that's where it started you know yeah I remember the lyric books as well lyric, exactly it it's just I and wonder vinyls in like in tapes I love it yeah. too and it takes much more like uh, again like we said like to go to a record store listen uh, take the record out put it on a table and then like buy some stuff first of all it's much more expensive than downloading some music or or just streaming it pay for the streaming service and then you may need to make an effort um, and then again also the act of listening to it you know like it's just not like easily available you need to have the turntable you have to put it on and then it's like a celebration and that makes it a nice thing it's a ritual yeah it's yeah. a ritual yeah. i wonder and whether we could come up with some kind of object that can represent a dj or an artist or music these days i wish there was something you can collect hmm. Like as a souvenir from a from a. I just maybe that's why we have these uh, many phones up in the air, <laughs> so that's the way to collect yeah. memories. Maybe from what their it is, yeah. Positions. I mean, the devil's advocacy on on the collecting thing is also that we do have things digitally now, and it does take resources to make CDs and vinyls and tapes. And I know where mine are now, like they are in my parents' basement, you know, and like boxed up. They're not being used by anybody. They're on a shelf somewhere, wasting away. So the first CDs were not as cool as, as records. This is true, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, is the thing also, um, I, you know, there's room for everything. Um, and I think, yeah, the, the thing to still buy records, um, it's nice that people still are doing it and like appreciating music that much um, that they want to have it on this medium. And um, but sometimes I'm also a little bit like I distance myself sometimes a little bit from people that are um, making it into something you know that like a status kind of thing like i buy vinyl i only play vinyl this and that um, it's not necessary that you become a great dj just because you know how to mix two records together um and these are vinyl records no sometimes people take too much pride in these things um and I, at a certain point, for example, I just thought, like, I don't need to show anybody that I can mix two records. That's too easy. I do this since 28 years. Like, for me, it's more like, what can I do with music? And that's why, at a certain point, I moved, for example, to play with Ableton. Now I don't play with Ableton that much anymore because I also started to enjoy playing with CD DJs um, a bit more which is also like it's fascinating it's again 
yeah, you you did for many years, like maybe one way, and then you coming back or going into another you opening another portal, and it brings you other options, other other things. Back then, for example, people would say to me like, uh, "You look too much in your laptop, and you're too you're not smiling when you DJ." And then like in myself, I was like, yeah, man, I don't give a fuck, man. Listen to my music. I have oh fun. Oh my God, I fucking love it when DJs you know? work. I love it when they're focused and they work and I get to enjoy and they're working just like, yeah. like, like focusing, like geeky style. Ah, oh, I love that vibe. Yeah, I but, love it. But I can, on the other end, I can also understand people uh, that like, You know, like a good show is a good show, and um, some DJs are very good at that. And just the energy uh, just opens another yeah. portal for you. I love it when the DJ is having fun. Like, for example, I don't know. Which like, is it, Maria? Do you want them to work or do you want that? Like, for example, when Brita <laughs> plays and she just like she's like like looking at the buttons and everything, like super focused. I really respect that and I admire it. But then. Also, like when Gold Cap plays and you just like kind of like is having fun and he's just like dancing a specific like little beat that he's like introducing and he has these like cool moves and I'm like, ah, oh, I wish I was that cool myself. <laughs> the know? point of all this, where I'm thinking is like with this podcast also, it's, it's this meet the DJ and it's really that we want everybody to be a DJ. And the reason I think that is, is because when you're doing it, when you're doing this act of creation, you value all of the, the parts of it. Like you would value the vinyls that you buy and the music that, and who's producing it, like the whole supply chain of like where this thing came from. And then when you are transmitting it, uh, you're reading the energy You probably know that like photos are great for your career, or, but they're not great for the party. They're yeah. not great for the moment. For the moment. Yeah. The moment you would see purely like, actually, like I'd rather these 10 people lose their minds. Don't even pay attention to me, but like live it, you know, live it now. And once you've seen this in action, Then, like, uh, this is how you want to live, you know, and how you want to well, be with people. Yeah, it's like teachers are like, DJs are these dealers of presence, you know. And we talk a lot on this about how DJs not always just about playing music. It's just like a metaphor for somebody who's creative, who's like trying to like get involved in these little acts of creation and picking ingredients and, and yeah. doing something instead of just consuming. Yeah, Alchemize is different components into an experience that takes you somewhere. But I think you're the purest DJ DJ that we've had. Wow. Show. Do you feel like a DJ now? Uh, because you mean the, uh, the others were more like awesome musicians? Yeah, we had, we've talked to like a label production person and, and Harry's like kind of a singer songwriter musician and yeah. food I would say is like kind of a composer, Theo is yeah, he's, uh, creating experiences. Yeah. <laughs> Theo is they, all do, they all do like a bit of what you would 
technically think is DJing, except maybe Theo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, probably I am more the DJ, although I produce as well, um, but not not as much. Um, I expressed myself the most, I think, through so DJing um, and. At a certain point, like this expression was for me a very artistical expression. Like I created new stuff. Uh, it still happens. Uh, I uh, in that phase, for example, like playing with Ableton and playing this, like starting this whole down tempo wipe and everything. You needed to have balls as well, and you needed to be uh, or needed to be we just wanted I just wanted I just wanted to compromise too much what I wanted to play what I wanted to show um, to people with what is expected maybe of me as a thing that I you probably know the story already maybe not everybody that's listening to this podcast, like, for example, like I got booked at a party in Antwerp, it's many years ago. And then like, I was just down tempo, whatever down tempo was back then, but artist and the DJ before me played 126 BPM. And then I was the main act and I started at 100 BPM. And I gotten, I never went faster than 116 at that night, but I picked the tempo up. And of course, people at first were completely confused. And usually you would consider that actually as like a complete, like you, people always think like the DJ needs to read the room and everything, but sometimes you can also be the artist. And back then I was the artist and I remember that promoter he came after the gig the gig went well people loved it and he came to me and he said like oh you know what i did i told the security guys to close the doors but not that nobody else can come in nobody else would be allowed to get out (laughs) that's what he told me and i believe him and he was so happy and then said like man how you dig a hole saw everybody in and then i picked them up piece by piece like person by person and that's what we did. And like, sometimes you can be that person. I got a little bit, I went on a little different path. I think also pandemic brought me on a different path because pandemic at a certain point, every, everything stopped. It was not about playing in clubs and big festivals uh, that were not existing. It was more about private parties. And then uh, for me, it was not, not a thing like that and going to play my special club version of my sound. No, I was opening up a little bit more to play just yeah for for us there, like you know, playing a little bit faster as well. And then yeah, like it's also I think it comes also with age to become a little bit more relaxed. But I feel always again also a little bit the urge. The past years have been a little bit more open, a little bit more party. I don't know how to how to express that right, but maybe a little bit more commercial 
from the music and I have the urge now to go back a little bit to the clubs again. Um, What does that mean musically? It is, uh, first of all, was what, what excites me. Um, I'm not so much excited by playing downtempo music. Um, I still love it, but it's not like that I played it. Um, no, it's changing more into um, yeah, stuff that is, uh, that is maybe sometimes also a little bit more challenging. Some stuff is, goes back to my early years, like more into bass music, for example. Like I still have some drum and bass and dubstep in my blood that I just feel. And then it's, it's what influences me. I feel a lot influenced now by and intrigued by um, Asset House. Um, yeah, we call it bass or dubstep um, things. Um, some more techno-ish things. Um, electro but it's it's hard to explain i think you just have to listen and have to find out and yeah i feel that future yeah. dj sets because it's also sometimes stupid to put names to it and, and also dub te- uh, down tempo never really reflected who i was 10 years ago even if i slowed a lot down but i, I never played just one style like it was always a mix of many things because there was country There was funk and there was like uh, Arabic track and, and this and that. And then you mix it, of course, uh, and maybe you stay in a certain tempo, but I never played only one tempo. I Clearly, play much yeah. more in one tempo now, but faster than I played before. Before, uh, when people considered me down tempo, I was like changing from like, I don't know, 100 to 118, for example, like huge changes. Depends really, but uh, I don't also like too much these labels. I remember two memorable sets this summer. One where you played on your own at Casarea, it was incredible. And another one where you played with Peter Proper at a stories party that those just rocked my world, both of them. Thank you very much. The, 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 yeah, the stories was just amazing. It was a lot of fun. I would consider that a commercial, more commercial version of mine because we played like a lot of party tracks, you know, with like vocals that people know and this and that. But still, it's good music. Like It's really good music, yeah. Um, so I think I never like went too far not to be true to my own style of who I am like um, or at least I think I, I, I remained credible <laughs> for, for like I, I, I think I have a certain style and even if it changes into different music realms or different tempos uh, it still remains a little bit Holger Heckler and This new journey, for example, together with uh, Proper, I love it because I, I always loved also to play with other people um, because you can just, you can push each other and um, it's, it's just fun. It's like jamming with each other, you know, like playing in a band a little bit. And sometimes I need that 
because sometimes you're just playing alone the whole time you it gets lonely as well even though i also like that but not to be lonely <laughs> to just play myself but yeah i think like for me again it's a very normal thing things are moving changing i don't want to remain in the same spot and um yeah uh, for me it means i want to go a little bit back into the clubs want to be play for people everything that we said today uh that put their phones aside uh and be a little bit less distracted by their digital tools uh and the world um, they're just in the moment and probably also yeah more back to the to the underground whatever that means i love the shiny beach club but i also love the dirty dirty is a bad word maybe but uh, like how oh, dude the basement the, the, the cheeky basement or whatever or or a more alternative club that's where i come from and um it will always be a part of my heart and of my nature and that's where i grew up in and that's why why i love to return as well so you got to find the portal that goes back Bar 25. <laughs> the same place, but different. Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. you said, we'll never be the same, but you can go through portals, but yeah. we'll change. Like, also, if you go to my door, you go, um, you, you have moments on my apart in my apartment, you will not return the same. Yeah. Like yeah. tonight. Like tonight. Like tonight. We'll have done this podcast in, in this room and blessed it. Yeah, and we would have learned so much about Berlin and music. Portals. Portals. <laughs> How many times did we say portal? Portal. No, uh, thank you for the invitation again. Um, I wish you the most of luck with the and success with this podcast series. I think it's like a very, very generous thing of you guys to do it because it comes out of pure love um yeah i i can only say i appreciate that a lot well i have to do more with you also because i feel like there's lots we didn't talk about yeah we've only scratched the surface yeah (laughs) including all this this stuff you're doing in brazil and i mean that's a creation as well and that's that's too much stuff yeah (laughs) That's for the next time, maybe. Yeah, maybe that would be the next incarnation of Holger as a podcast guest. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to share? I love you all. Peace. <laughs> we, we love, love you, you too. too. See you behind the next portal. See you there. I'll be there. Thank you, Holger. Thank you. <laughs>